0: You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. With that being said, we are currently in an amazing series that we kicked off last week. Can somebody let me know what this series is entitled? Word. That's right. Look to your neighbor and say, Word. We, we started this series last week. It's called Word, and I could not be more pumped about this series. Not only that, though, I don't think it could be a more important series that we're diving through. If you, if you weren't here last week, what we're talking about in this series is we are talking about the Word. God's Word. We're talking about the Bible. This thing that's kind of, I don't know, you maybe have ever heard about it. It's kind of important to Christianity. You guys ever heard of the Bible before? Okay, good. Good. I'm glad we've all heard of the Bible before. Well, we are taking a deep dive this month into what the Bible is, why you should read it in the first place, like why it's important to your life. We're talking about, you know, the Bible talks about a lot of different things. It says a lot of claims. like It can change your life and your mind and, and your relationships and everything about you. Um, but how do we do that? How does it happen in our life? And you, you may be here today, and you may be thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Jackson, Pastor Jackson, do I really need to know like things about the Bible? Because like I'm not going to be a pastor one day, or like I'm not going to be a teacher one day, or I'm just a student. I don't really need to know facts or things about the Bible. I can just... Come to church and my pastor can tell me. And and uh, that is true. That's very true. But we want to be people of the word. Yeah. Can I get an amen? amen. We want to be people of the word. And so in order to do that, we've got to take a step ourselves. And last week, if you weren't here, we talked about that. We talked about becoming students of the word. And I don't want to get too, too deep into last week and recapping it because I've actually got a lot of stuff. I want some really cool stuff. That I want to give to you guys tonight so I hope you came ready to like write down notes follow along with me um, but we talked about becoming students of the word um, and if you didn't get to hear that you can go back on our podcast and listen to that message but I need to know is anybody ready for the word tonight okay if you're ready bring out get, get your journals out if you bring a journal get your phone out your bible does anybody have a physical bible I'm just curious anybody that's what I'm talking about. We got a physical Bible in the house. That's, that's rare nowadays. That's rare. Okay. Um, if, you, if you have a Bible or you're following along with me tonight, we're going to be kicking off the message tonight in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And uh, if, you're, if you're looking for it, you don't need to go too far because it's the first book of the Bible. Genesis. Right there. Boom. There you go. I'm helping you. But what's happening Um, in Genesis. Most of us are probably familiar with what's happening in Genesis chapter 3, but if you're not, here's what's happening. It's the creation story. So, what is God doing right now? He's creating everything, the planet, the world, the universe as we know it, right? And he's speaking things into existence, so he's like, let there be this, let there be that, and things are just happening. Planets are being born into existence, mountains, oceans, birds, cats, dogs, Plains, people. He builds the garden. He puts the first two humans in there. What are their names? Adam and Eve. Eve. That's right. That's pretty easy. So, this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 3. Right here in Genesis chapter 3, the world, the universe, everything is perfect. Look to your neighbor and say, "Perfect." Perfect. It's perfect. This is literally like what the kingdom of God, what God wanted it to look like all along. Perfection. There's no sickness. There's no death. There's no striving. Everything is taken care of. There's no lack. This is where, this is where Adam and Eve live right now. It's pretty nice, right? Does anybody, I would want to live there. No, no death, no sickness, no, no lack. I'm there. This is where Adam and Eve are. And God, you guys are familiar with this. God gives them one pretty simple task. He says, all right, you're in the garden. Everything is yours. Everything. Just don't go to this one tree and eat of this one piece of fruit. Pretty easy, right? Pretty easy instructions. Uh, This is where we pick up in the story. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Let's read it. Here's what it says. It says this. The serpent was the shrewdest, or, or crafty, or clever. That's the devil right there. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman... Did God really say, did God really say that you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Okay, I want to focus right now on what the serpent, the devil, the enemy just told Eve. What did he say? He said, did God really say, did he really say, now check this out. I think right here at the very beginning of the Bible, I think we see the enemy's main tactic against you, against me, against the people of God, against any person that's trying to follow God or know him better. I think we find the main tactic of the enemy right here. And I want you to notice something. The devil, he didn't come up to Eve, and he didn't try to get her to believe that God wasn't real, right? Like, did he slither up to Eve and he was like, is God really real? Or are you just making this whole thing up? Like he didn't try to—he didn't try to convince Eve that God wasn't real. And, and the devil, in this moment, he didn't go up to Adam and Eve and try to get them to do some evil act or like some evil commit some evil sin. He didn't slither up to Eve and he wasn't like, hey, yo, you should—you should leave Adam because like you're a woman and you don't need no man. Or uh, he didn't slither up to Eve and say, hey, you should just go kill Adam right now. Like, the enemy didn't try to get her to do some evil thing. What did he do? He came up to her, and he said, did God really say? And Now, check this out. This is what I think the main tactic of the enemy is against you and me, and it's this. It's to get you and I to doubt God's word. That's it. If the enemy can get you to doubt God's word... He's already won the battle. Check this out. If you're taking notes, you can write this down or jot this down. If this is what the enemy was thinking when he came up to Eve, "If I can get them to doubt what God said, then they'll choose to leave God for themselves." And that's exactly what we see happen. The enemy's super tricky. He's super clever. Check this out. His main tactic against you is not to get you to commit some evil act. His main tactic against you is to believe that the Bible, God's word, is something that you can't trust. I'm going to say that again, because that was real good. Yeah. The The enemy's main tactic against your life is going to be to get you to doubt God's word and believe it's not for you. Yeah. And he knows that if he can just get you to doubt God's word, he doesn't have to make you do anything, because you'll just run off and leave God on, on your own, yeah. because he's already you've already done ha- all the work. So tonight, what I want to do is something really specific. Last week, we talked about... Becoming students of the word. And so I actually want us tonight to be students of the word. We're going to go back to the basics of the Bible. Now, I I want to do this with you, and I think it's really important because um, we talked about this last week. I think most people just don't really know what the Bible has to say. They just don't know. And so tonight, we're going to just define, like, what's the Bible? Why do you need to read it? Why is it important? How can you trust it? If it's an ancient book, I want to talk about all of these things tonight. It's going to be a little bit like a, like a Bible course. Is that cool with you guys? You think you can hang in with me tonight? Let's go. I think it's going to be really good. I'm telling you, as I was studying this stuff this week, I got so fired up about how unbelievably good God's word is. I cannot wait to share this stuff with you guys. Um, but check this out. We, you've probably heard this before. We tell people at church all of the time, you need to get in God's word. You need to get in God's word. You need to read God's word every day. It'll change your life. If you just read it, get in God's word. It's the most powerful thing in your life. And guess what? I believe all of those things, 100%. But what happens when we tell people, get in God's word, get in God's word, get in God's word, but we never tell them what it is or how to read it or where it came from, right? It's kind of like handing like a three-year-old like a really really big tool that can do a lot of damage, like like handing a three-year-old a chainsaw. How many of you know? That would be a bad idea. And you just hand them a chainsaw and you're like, hey, bro, this is a really powerful tool. You should use it. <laughs> like that would be crazy, right? You would never do that. But sometimes we do this with God's word. We're like, this is the most powerful thing you could ever lay your hands on. If you would just get into it, it would change your life. And we just throw it at people and we expect them to know what to do with it, right? And so this is what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about what God's word is. And so what, what I'm going to be doing is a, 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 ta- a style of teaching or preaching it's called apologetics with you tonight. Uh, and that doesn't mean I'm just going to be apologizing about how hard God's word is all night. Like, I'm just, I'm really sorry. It's hard, but you got to get into it. That's not what I'm going to do. Here's what apologetics means. It's this. Reasoned arguments or writings in justification of something, typically a theory or religious doctrine. Okay, whoa, what, what did I just say? Pastor Jackson, what in the world? Here's what apologetics is. I want to give you tonight... Some arguments, some facts, some truths about God's word that are going to help you understand and and realize that this book really is something you can place your entire life on. And you can trust it because it's truth. It's not something, it's not just some ancient book that it could be true. I I want to show you tonight. It's the truth. Does that sound good with you guys tonight? Okay, okay. So if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Word 101. Word 101, look to your neighbor and say, we're getting back to the basics. Back back to the basics. Okay, before we get into this, let's pray. I want to invite everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit into this message right now. Father God, I thank you so much for every single student in this room, and I, I thank you that no matter where we are in our walk with you or in our understanding of your word I thank you that we're here tonight to learn. And so I lift up every single mind in this room, every single heart in this room to you, and I pray that you would open, uh, open those things up, open our mind, open our hearts to see what your word actually is and how it can really change our life, Lord. We're hungry. We want to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this room. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Amen. Okay. So uh, the first question that I want to talk about tonight when it comes to God's word is this. I want to answer this question. Why, why is it important to know about the Bible? Like, why is it important for you, student in this room, to know about the Bible? Because like I said, you might be here tonight and you're like, Pastor Jackson, I don't, I don't ever want to be a pastor. <laughs> I don't ever want to work in ministry. Like, why do I need to know things about the Bible If I can just go to church and it can be taught to me. And if that's you tonight, I've got two reasons why I want to answer this question. Two reasons why I think you, student, leader, mom, dad, football player, I don't care who you are. Two reasons why I think anybody should know these things about the Bible. The first thing is actually, we've already answered it, and it's this. You have an enemy. Somebody say, you have an enemy. We already talked about this. We have an enemy and his main tactic to keep you and I from walking and following and being in a, in a real intimate relationship with God is to get you to doubt that God's word is even true because he knows that if he can do that, he's already won the battle. So he's going to come up to you and I, just like he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's going to say that same phrase to you about the Bible. He's going to say, did God really say that? You know what I mean? Like, like he'll come up to you and and he'll say things like, did God really say that, that if two or more are gathered there, I am in their midst. Like, do you really believe that God's presence shows up when you're with people and you pray? Like, do you really think that's true? Or he'll come up to you and and he'll say things like, did God really say that you don't need to worry because he's going to take care of you? Because last time I checked, uh, You don't feel like you've been taken care of recently. Or or maybe he'll come up to you and he'll say, did God really say that prayer works? Because last time I checked, when you pray, you don't feel anything. You see where I'm going with this? Like the enemy, he's going to do the same thing that he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He's going to slither up to you and he's going to say this to you about God's word. He's going to say, did God really say that? And if you don't know what God said in the first place, what are you going to do? You're going to say, I don't know if God really said that. And then you're going to walk away. It's exactly what happened in the garden. So check this out. It's important to know what the Bible says and what it is because you have an enemy. So that's the first reason why we need to know what the Bible is. The second reason, though, is because of First Peter 3.15. It's important to know what the Bible is, why it's important, because of First Peter 3.15. You might be here tonight and you're like, okay, Jackson, What does 1 Peter 3.15 say? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to tell you right now. Are you ready for this? 1 Peter 3.15, this is what it says. This is so good. Check this out. It says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone, somebody say someone. someone. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Whoa. I'm going to read that again. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So in 1 Peter, we're told that we need to be ready to, to tell somebody why we believe what we believe, why we believe in God, why we believe in the Bible. If somebody comes up to you, somebody who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't even believe Jesus was a real person, and they come up to you and they say, hey, why do you believe in the Bible? Peter is basically saying it's not okay to just be like, I don't know, I just, this is kind of just what I believe in. <laughs> I don't know, it's just kind of like my thing, being a Christian. It's like what I do. That's like not enough. Peter says it's not okay to just say, I don't know, I just believe that, right? That's kind of like this. It's, it's kind of like, you know, for me, you may be like me. When I'm going to buy something that I'm interested in buying, I research the crap out of it. Does anybody else research things that they're going to buy? Come on, show of hands. Like, do you, you want something and you go online and you research, like, should I buy this or should I buy another thing, right? Like, for instance, for instance, um, a couple months ago, before Marlo, my daughter, was born, um, I was in the, uh, I was in the market for a new coffee maker because here's the thing. If you don't know this about me, Jackson likes coffee. Um, I'm a little bit of a coffee snob, and so, um, so for years, before Marlo, my daughter, was ever born, um, I would make coffee by hand, so I'd like buy like fancy, snobby coffee beans, and I would take my fancy, coffee, snobby beans, and I would grind them every morning, and then I would take those fancy beans, and I'd put them in a pour-over, and I'd take my fancy, snobby kettle, and I would make myself and Haley a cup of fancy, snobby coffee. Every single day. And this was like a whole process, right? And so whenever we realized, okay, there's a baby coming. I don't know if I'm going to have time to make fancy, snobby coffee every single morning. I was like, I think I should probably get an automatic coffee maker, right? To save time. So I just touch the button and I have coffee, right? So I started to research fancy coffee snob coffee makers, right? Because I want to get the best one. Does anybody else do this or am I the only one? Okay, I'm glad somebody else does this. So, imagine this. Imagine I am in the market for something, like a coffee maker, and I go on YouTube to look up a product review about that coffee maker. And I click on the video, and the video opens up, and this guy, he's got the box of the coffee maker, and he opens it up, and he's like, All right, guys, I'm going to be doing a product review of this um, Bonavita Metropolitan which that's the coffee maker that I got. <laughs> so, the Bonavita Metropolitan. And uh, here's what you need to know about this coffee maker. Like, it's, it's a pretty good coffee maker. And um, it makes great coffee. And it looks pretty cool. And uh, mine hasn't broken yet. And it's a great coffee maker. So, you should buy it. And uh, don't forget to like and subscribe for my next upcoming video. Like, how unhelpful is that video, right? Yeah. Like, what did that person just tell me? I mean, it's a, it's a good coffee maker, and, like, it's pretty great, and it's black, which is cool, and you should buy it, right? What, what, we're, what, I hope you're, what, what I hope you're seeing tonight is that's basically what we do when somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, what do you believe in? And you're just like, I don't know. I just kind of believe it. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. And I, I want you to know something. Like, from my personal experience... I don't always have people coming up to me like every single day like hey why are you a Christian or like hey you read the bible why do you read the bible why do you believe in it like that doesn't happen to me all the time right but I do need to be ready for that but I don't think this somebody is just talking about like an unbeliever I think it's talking about the enemy when the enemy comes up to you and says what do you what why do you believe this and you just say I don't know I just believe it 1 Peter is telling us that's not enough or what if somebody that somebody is you it's your thoughts it's your doubts And your thoughts and your doubts are saying, man, do I really believe this? And you don't have anything to tell yourself, right? It's just like that video that's saying like, I don't know, you should just buy it because it's great. It's not enough. First Peter tells us we need to be ready. Now, you might be a little intimidated. You're like, man, I got to know all the answers to my faith. Like what? I want you to know, New Song students, this doesn't mean you have to have all of the answers figured out because guess what? Your boy, Pastor Jackson, I still don't have all the answers figured out. That's that's why it's called faith in the first place, right? Like, it's called faith for, for, in the first place because we have to take a step of faith and believe. But you also can't have answers, and you can't explain what you believe in. And so tonight, we're going we're gonna to go deep into that. Y'all hanging in with me? Let's go. Okay, okay. So um, maybe you've wondered, like, why did God write a book? Like, why did God have to write a book? Like, why, why couldn't he have made, like, a movie about what he's like. <laughs> or like, why couldn't he have recorded like a really catchy album that just gets stuck in your head all day, right? That would be so nice. That would be really nice. But he didn't write a movie or record an album. He wrote a book. So why, why did God write a book and call it the Bible? Well, here's, here's why. It's because God wants relationship with the people he created. God wanted relationship with you so bad that he wrote a book. And what I want you to know, something that's important about a relationship is this. People in relationships self-define. Look to your neighbor and say, self-define. What do I mean by that? People in relationships self-define. Okay, here's what I mean by that. The only way you can know me, Jackson Wilson, is if I define to you who I am, right? And the only way I can know who you are and be in relationship with you as you if you self-define and you tell me who you are right you can't be in a relationship with somebody that that you that you don't know and it's not like just because we're in the same room right now we're automatically in in relationship right just because we all go to the same church or even if we're into the same stuff doesn't mean that we're just automatically in relationship we have to tell each other hey this is who I am this is what I'm like we have to self Define and you can only be in a relationship with somebody who tells you who they are. And so this is what God did. God told us, this is who I am. And he did it through his word. But check this out. In the same way that people self-define, you know, in relationships, you don't go around telling people who they are, right? That wouldn't be a relationship. Like, for instance, if you were to come up to me and I'm like, hey, my name's Jackson, I'm married and occasionally I like to go skateboarding. My name is Jackson. I'm married, and occasionally I like to go on a little skateboard trip, do some kickflips, get a little sweaty, and you came up to me, and you were like, yeah, you, you are Jackson, and you are married, but you don't skateboard. I'd be like, what? And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 you don't skateboard, because like, like, I don't like skateboarders, And I don't like skateboarding, so your name is Jackson and and you're married, but you don't skate because I don't like skateboarders. And I want you to see how, is that a relationship? This is what happens to so many people when they don't know God's word is they actually end up defining who they think God is. And they're like, well, I don't like this part about God, so God, you're this and you're this and you're this, but you're not that because I don't like that, right? But that's not how a relationship works, right? Relationship works in the way that I tell you who I am and you tell me who you are, and we have to choose to accept that, right? In the same way, check this out. God wanted you and I to know, like, this is who I am. This is exactly what I'm like, and so what did he do? He wrote a book. He wrote a book. This is what I'm like, and I want you to know me. You know, God wants you to know him, and he wants you to be known by him, and how do we do that? We get in his word. Okay, so check this out. We've talked about what the Bible is. It's It's God self-defining so we can know what he's like, so we can be in a relationship with him. Um, But but how do we know that we can rely on the Bible? Like, have you ever heard somebody say, like, how can you believe that? It's an ancient book. Like, it's such an old book. How do you know it's true? Or like, how can you trust something that like was written thousands and thousands? How can you know? This is what I want to talk about really quickly. The first thing um, we, we need to understand it. Well, one, as I want you to know we can build our life on God's word completely. We can trust it, and here's why. It's different than any other book. And it's not just because it's like the number one best-selling book of all time, which I'm pretty sure it is, but that's not why we can trust it. This is why we can trust it, because it's unlike any other book in existence. Because every other book was written by a man, and it was written by man's understanding but God's word's different. It was written by man, but not by man's understanding. Check this out. Write this down. It's a God book, not a man book. The Bible is a God book, not a man book. And we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says this. It says, all scripture. Somebody say all. all. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do and what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Okay, in this passage, we find out what God's word is. It's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. So check this out. The way we got the Bible was it didn't just, like, fall from the sky into Moses' lap one day, right? (laughs) It didn't just fall from heaven, and it had all of the Bible and all of the table of contents, and it was just there, right? And the Bible also wasn't written in this way. God didn't just come down and, like, take over the authors of the Bible, like in a horror movie, and, like, their eyes just roll back in their head, and they just start, like, writing and, like, convulsive. Like, that's weird. God didn't do that. No. It says that God breathed on it. God inspired it. So what that means is, like, the authors of the Bible— they were just led by the Holy Spirit. In such a strong way, they had this unction, this leading to write down God's word and it wasn't any of their thoughts. It was all God's thoughts. So it was written by man but it wasn't written by man's understanding. It's a God book, not a man book. The Bible is a God book, not a man book. So what kind of book is it though? What kind of book is it? Like is it, is it an action book? Is it a history book? Is it a book of rules? Or like a self-help book? Like you just read it when you're feeling sad and then you feel better the rest of the day? What, what kind of book is it? What book is it? Well, it's kind of a little bit of all of those things. But check this out. I love the way the Bible Project talks about what the Bible is. This is what they say. They say, our mission is to help people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads To Jesus. So check this out. Uh, The Bible is made up of a bunch of different types of books. They all sound different. They all kind of look a little different, but they all, the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, it all is a unified story pointing towards one person. Is it me? Is it you? No, no, no. It's Jesus. The Bible points towards Jesus. Here's an important thing we need to know about the Bible. We are not the main characters of the Bible. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. You are not the main character of the Bible. Jesus is. And it's important for us to know that because how many of you have ever done this? You think you're the main character of the Bible, so you get into it. And the second you're done with it, you're like, what is this saying to me? And you don't feel like you have anything. And you're like, I guess I shouldn't have read the Bible today. Like, what? No, no, no. The Bible is supposed to help you see who Jesus is. And when you see Jesus, then you see who you really are. So check this out. I want to give you some, some pretty practical facts about the Bible. Can, are you all still hanging in with me? Is this helping anybody? Check this out. This is crazy. The Bible was written by 40 different authors. Did you know that? The Bible was written by 40 different authors. All of those guys, it was, they came from different backgrounds, different cultures, different nations, um, and it took a period of 1,500 years to write. That's a pretty long time. 40 authors, 1,500 years. I don't know about you, but for me, I think, man, if 40 different people tried to write the same story, how in the world would it all come out being about Jesus? So the fact that 40 different people all wrote this, and it all points towards one person, I think that's pretty incredible. But not only that, I think the fact that it was written by 40 people, over a span of 1,500 years, and it all is about the same God and the same person, I think that's a miracle. Yeah. I think that states and tells us, man, this isn't a man book. This isn't something we just made up. This is a God book. It's a God book. There are, Do anybody know how many books in the Bible there are? Pop quiz. 66. That's right. There are 66 books in the Bible. This is a cool fact. Have you ever heard of this thing called the Septuagint? It's a weird word. Maybe somebody's heard about it. The Septuagint. Here's what the Septuagint is. It's the Old Testament, but it's the entire thing in Greek. So whenever Jesus was born, everybody in the world basically spoke Greek at the time. Before Jesus was even born, the Septuagint had already been finished, and it was the entire Old Testament in Greek. Isn't that kind of crazy? The entire Old Testament was already translated in Greek before Jesus was ever even born. Did you know this? There are eight different genres in the Bible. There's different styles of writing in the Bible. There's eight different genres. Here's what they are historical and narrative. There's the law. That's like all the rules in Leviticus, right? Sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's a little boring. It's okay. There's wisdom literature. There's psalms and poetry. There's prophecy, things about the future. There's apocalyptic, ye, revelation, skirt. There's, there's epistles, or that's another way of saying letters. And then there's the gospels. Now check this out. I want to I just camp out here for just a second. Because I think sometimes people get tripped up on the fact that they don't know that the Bible is actually written in different writing styles. Like in different genres Require a different response. So like when we read a specific genre, it requires you and I to respond to it in a certain way. Now, how many of you know? It's kind of like, it's just like music. You know how there's different genres in music? Yeah. There's like hundreds of genres, thousands of subgenres in music, and they all require a different type of response. So like if you go to a classical concert, anybody ever been to a symphony before? Um, if you have... They're pretty quiet. Like you just kind of sit down, you wear fancy clothes, you don't clap, you just watch and you listen and you experience the music. But if you go to like a rave or like a metal concert, are you going to be sitting down just watching like this? Like no. The different genre, it requires a different response, right? And check this out. When we don't know, I hope you guys are paying attention to this. This is super cool. When we don't know what genre we're reading there's a good chance we're actually responding to it in a wrong way. It's kind of like this. Check this out. I've got a video to kind of help illustrate this. This is really funny. I hope you like this. Check this out. Oh my gosh, somebody please get that drummer here at New Song Church. I bet y'all were watching that and they're like, who put that drum video over there? And then it was like, oh, that guy's actually there. That poor girl was just like, I'm just going to power through this. Just going to power through. But check this out. I know it's really funny, but that's what we do to God's word when we don't know what genre we're reading, right? So it's important to realize the Bible is written in different styles it's different themes different ways to understand god's word and we're going to get get into more of that later in the series but i just wanted you to know there's eight different genres in the bible it's kind of crazy right so check this out the bible is amazing it's god's book it's not a man book it's um something we can trust this is another thing you need to know about god's word it's historically accurate it's historically accurate you may people you may hear people say this to you how can we trust The Bible if, you know, I already said this, if it's an ancient book or how can we believe that Jesus was even a real person if he's only talked about in the Bible? I want to tell you about that because guess what? Those questions, they kind of sound intimidating at first, but I want you to know that they're actually really silly questions. They're very naive. Mic drop because I'm about to drop you some facts tonight about how historically accurate God's word actually is. Check this out. In John 5, there's a man, he's lame, that doesn't mean he's not cool, that just means he, he can't walk. And uh, he gets healed by Jesus in John chapter 5 at this place called the Pool of Bethesda. Look at this, look at this. John chapter 5, here's what it says. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside of the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the, was the Pool of Bethesda. Check this out, very important detail. Look at the screen with five covered porches, okay? So check this out. The Bible tells us there's a pool of Bethesda and there's five porches around it. Now, this place hadn't been discovered for a really long time. And so like scholars and people and universities and stuff, they, this was like a point of doubt because they were like, how can the Bible tell us about this place in the middle of Jerusalem if it doesn't even exist? We haven't found it yet until they found it. 40 feet below the ground with five entryways. How crazy is that? That was in God's word, right? Mic drop. Take that, devil. Sucks to suck. I've got another one for you. I've got another one for you. What if somebody comes to you and they tell you, "How how do we know if Jesus was really a real person? How do we know that the disciples didn't just make him up? And how do we know if he's real if the Bible only talks about him? So if somebody comes up to you and is, they're asking you this question, what they're asking for is extra biblical evidence. That means they want evidence outside of the Bible. You guys want some extra biblical evidence? I'm about to drop it to you right now. There's a guy. His name is Josephus. Somebody say Josephus. He was a Jewish historian that he, he lived during the time of Jesus and he said this about Jesus. Now, I want you to know before I read this, like, Josephus telling people this, he's not trying to get people to follow Jesus. Like, he's a Jewish leader. He has nothing to gain by telling anybody this. He's not trying to get people to follow Jesus. But here's what he says. He says this. We learn that Jesus was a, was a wise man who did surprising feats. That's, that sounds like Jesus. He taught many. That's pretty good. Won over many followers from among Jews and Greeks that sounds like Jesus, was believed to be the Messiah, still sounds like Jesus, was accused by Jewish leaders, was condemned to be crucified by Pilate, and was considered to be resurrected. Check this out. Josephus said that. That's not in the Bible. He said that. He actually said that during the time uh, right after Jesus was crucified. And when he said that, he didn't have a dog in the fight. He had no reason to tell people that other than this is what happened. I got one more for you. Y'all hanging in with me? This guy named Tacitus, he was a Roman historian. Same thing, not a Christian, didn't really care whether Jesus was real or not, didn't really have a dog in the fight, but here's what he says about Jesus. Nero inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class called Christians. Christus, this is Jesus, from whom the name had its origin, check this out, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hand of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilate. That's Jesus, right? That's Jesus. You all hanging in with me? Is this good stuff? Last one. I got one more historical fact. The book of Acts names 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands perfectly, without error, like lists them perfectly. All of them found by archaeologists, all perfectly mapped out. That's the book of Acts. So check this out. The Bible is a God book, not a man book. It's historically accurate. Next thing I want you to know about the Bible is this. It's the most reliable. It's the most reliable. And if you're taking notes, write this down. The New Testament is humanity's most reliable document. It's humanity's most reliable document. There are these things called manuscripts. Everybody say manuscripts. Manuscripts. And what that is, what a manuscript is, is it's a copy of an original document, okay? So we have thousands, thousands and thousands of manuscripts, copies of the original texts in the Bible. Well, in, in the 40s, there was this thing that was discovered called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls before? So it was discovered, and it was, manu- it was copies of the Old Testament. And we had manuscripts of the Old Testament. And the Dead Sea Scrolls dated 1,000 years before any of the copies we had. Wow. Now check this out. When we started looking at them together, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the manuscripts we had were 99.9% accurate. Wow. To documents that were 1,000 years earlier. Check that out. The only difference was minor spelling and sentence structure. So, like, it was the same meaning. Okay, I got two more things for you. Two more things for you. Oh, my gosh. This one's actually really good, though. Um, There's tons of people all throughout academia and universities, and they'll tell you all day long. You shouldn't believe in the Bible. It's not reliable. But then we'll read things, like, like, from philosophers, like Plato. You ever heard of Plato before? Well, Plato, not Plato, but Plato with a T. Plato, he he wrote a book. He wrote a book called The Republic and it was written 400 years BC. 400 years BC. So that's pretty old, right? The first manuscript that we have of Plato's Republic, the first copy that we have dates to 900 AD. So That's a 1,300 gap between the original and the copy. And guess how many copies we have of Plato, Plato's Republic? Seven. Just seven copies. You guys want to know how many copies we have of the New Testament? Check this out. The New Testament, it was written between 50 and 100 A.D., and we have over 5,000 copies of it. 5,000 copies. 5,000 copies. And... Plato's uh, Republic, remember? 1,300-year time gap. Guess how many years the time gap was between the originals and the copy of the New Testament? 50 to 100 years. What I want you to see tonight, New Song students, is the New Testament is the most reliable document in human history. You can trust it. You can trust it's real. It's historically accurate. It's the most reliable. It's accurate. And it's prophetically perfect. It's prophetically perfect. What does that mean? The Bible, and Jay, you can throw some music on as we get ready to close. The Bible, it makes a lot of claims, prophetic claims. What does that mean? Claims about the future. And it makes over a thousand claims prophetically. And a lot of those have been fulfilled. Some of them haven't been fulfilled yet. But there are 300 prophecies about Jesus. 300. That's a lot, right? So if Jesus really were the son of God, he would have to fulfill all 300, right? Okay, well, side note, he did. But check this out. There's a, there's a, um, a scientist named Peter Stoner, and he did um, probability analysis. Basically, he wanted to let us know what the odds of that actually happening is by chance. Some guy named Jesus showing up on the scene and fulfilling just eight Not 300, just eight prophecies. You want to know what kind of chance that is? One to the 10th power. Wait, one to the 10th and then 17 zeros behind it. 10 to the 17th power. That's what I was trying to say. So the chances of a guy named Jesus being born in Bethlehem by a Virgin Mary, by a certain family, being crucified, just eight prophecies, is one to the 17th power. So to help illustrate this, this is what that's like. That's like having the entire state of Texas covered in quarters, two feet deep. That's pretty big, right? I'm from Texas. You can drive from one end to the other, and it would take 13 hours to drive from one end of Texas to the other. Texas is huge. So imagine quarters all over the entire state of Texas, two feet deep. I take one quarter, I take a dot, and I mark it, and I throw it into the pile. And then I take one of you guys, and I blindfold you, and I say, okay, if you can pick out the quarter that has a mark in it, first try, that's the same amount of chance you have as Jesus has just fulfilling eight prophecies. And Jesus filled 300 of them. Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies about himself perfectly. It's impossible. Literally impossible unless you're God, right? What I want you guys to see tonight is how good the Bible is. It is historically accurate. It's prophetically perfect. It's the most reliable. And the last thing is this. This is super important. It's the safest place. It's the safest place. What do I mean by that? Matthew chapter 7 says this. This is Jesus talking about God's word. He says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, God's word, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So that's what happens when we build our life on God's word. But check this out. And everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house and it fell. And it fell apart. Now what you want to see tonight, what I want you to see tonight, New Song students, is God's word is the safest place for you and me. It's the most reliable place. It's the most historically accurate place. It's the most prophetically perfect place. And it's the safest place for you and I to build our life on. I hope you see tonight that God's word is good. Man, it's so good. And you can trust it. You can trust that God really did. He came down and he worked through men and spoke to them and said, write this down. And it came together and it became the Bible. And it became something that when you and I choose to get into on our own, changes us forever. It changes us forever. If I want to invite everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes tonight. I know I just, I just hammered a lot of stuff on you tonight, a lot of facts, a lot of statistics, a lot of stuff. You just heard a lot of stuff. But right now, what I want you to hear more than any of that stuff is what, what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So, right now, I want you to say in your heart or in your mind, just tell yourself right now, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to tell me tonight? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I believe that the Holy Spirit is, he's knocking down some doubt tonight. I believe there's some people in this room. And you, you you haven't been sure if you can trust this thing, this ancient book, God's word. You're like, man, I don't know if I can trust this. It's old and it doesn't make sense. And how, how can this apply to me today? What I hope that the Holy Spirit is showing you tonight is, is you can trust this. It's for you. It's for you to be able to see him, to know him. God's saying you can trust this. Just get into it. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you're a good father. And you didn't just plop humanity on the earth without any direction and leave us guessing about what you're like. But you wrote the book. And you made it plain and clear. This is who I am. And this is how I see you. And I thank you for giving us your word, God. And wherever we are tonight with your word, I pray that you would give us a fresh fire, a new fire in our hearts that we would get in your word, whether we understand it or not, so that we could see your word begin to transform us to be able to look like you, God. And I thank you that even as we go into small group tonight, you're going to be teaching us further, showing us more. Helping us to understand your word for what it truly is, God. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name. And everybody said,